Good morning and welcome to Harvest. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to go ahead and start the register. So that's the black folder over on the left-hand aisle. Left-hand aisle. If you can grab that and uh, fill it out. If this is your very first Sunday, if you're visiting with us, or if you've been here for, since the very beginning, we want you to fill that out. Pass it all the way down your row. Let us know that you are here. Well, Harvest, we are two weeks away from starting back up our small groups. And I believe this year has the greatest potential for eternal impact that our small groups and that our church has ever experienced. I believe that this year has the potential for more gospel conversations, more everyday opportunities, more loving our neighbors, more loving our neighborhoods. A year of stepping outside of ourselves, of reordering our life, a year unlike any year we have ever had. Those are some really big statements, aren't they? So where's this coming from? Why am I saying this? Because since Easter, as we've been going through the series, Church on the Move, going through with the book of 1 Thessalonians, I've been sitting here with you. I've been in your seat, and I'm telling you, Harvest, I am seeing God doing something here. Do you see it? I believe that God's been building words, that he's been speaking words into us through Pastor Doug, so that he has been equipping us, that he has been establishing us, so that he can be doing a work outside of us. Harvest for the last nine years, the Lord has been preparing this place. He's preparing us as his people. He's been building into us and harvest. We're not a country club. We are a sending base place. Over the last month, you've been hearing a phrase from Pastor Doug saying, more and more. Church, I think that's something that the Lord wants, more and more. Last week, Pastor Doug said it's time. It's time for us to, to reorder our lives. Remember that? It's time to, to be less self-absorbed, less self-focused, because if all of life is ministry, that means we are missing gospel opportunities. It means we're missing moments of being engaged, moments of sharing our life with others. Harvest, it's time to reorder our life. Harvest, God wants to interrupt your life and give you gospel opportunities. Grab your Bible and open up to Jonah. It's page 774, if you're going to grab one of the Bibles in front of you. And uh, this fall, all of our small groups are going to be going through the book of Jonah. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to be taking a preview. I'm going to be setting up the book of Jonah. So my goal for this morning in these next 20 minutes is I want you to taste and see what's coming. So if you're in a small group, you're getting ready. You're getting excited. If you're not in a small group, I'm not trying to sell something here. I'm not promoting anything. I'm just going to be previewing because I want you to be informed. I want you to be aware of what our small groups are going to be going through this fall. Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, Jonah was a prophet. And so as the word of the Lord, as, as the Lord speaks to Jonah, now Jonah speaks to the, pe- to the people on behalf of the Lord. So the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, get up, and go to Nineveh. 
that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. I think Jonah is one of my favorite Old Testament books. I mean, it's a familiar story, right? Like, we know the story of Jonah. If I said Jonah and the blank, what is it? Jonah and the whale. We know that. But this really big fish is a really small part of the book of Jonah. It's just, it's just a water taxi taking Jonah really where he needs to be. The book of Jonah has nothing to do with a whale. The word great is in Jonah 15 times. And we see it here in verse 2. It says, that great city, Nineveh. We see it in chapter 1, a, a great wind, a great storm. We see this great fish, this great city. We see this great joy, this great fear, this great anger. The book of Jonah is really about one thing, and it is a great God. Here at Harvest, we say it's a big God. So God is speaking to Jonah, says, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh. But here's the problem. Jonah was comfortable. For Jonah, life was good. He was a prophet, and most prophets in the Old Testament are prophets of doom and gloom, calling people back to repentance. But Jonah, his message for Israel was a message of peace and prosperity. Early on in Jonah's ministry, he prophesied that the Lord would would establish that he would expand the territory of Israel. This was a time of peace, a time of expansion, a time of building for the people of Israel. Life was good. So when Jonah prophesied this, and then later on it came true under King Jeroboam, Jonah rose to the national spotlight. Like he had a direct line with the Lord. Anytime Jonah spoke, people listened. He had a message of peace and prosperity. Life was good. He was comfortable. And all of a sudden, one day, God shows up and interrupts Jonah's life. Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Look at verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. See, Nineveh is located in the desert in the east. Jonah runs to the west, gets on the ship, sets sail to the west. Jonah is running in the complete opposite direction away from the presence of the Lord. See, humanly, Nineveh, Nineveh was a a suicide mission. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, the most evil and wicked empire of the day. And when Assyria, when the army came to your town, they, they created this ideology of terror. See, they didn't just kill people. They, they beheaded people like a public spectacle. This is like modern-day ISIS. They would chain people up treat them like dogs and kennels. They, they would limb by limb stretch people out so they could skin them alive. It was gross. I mean, these people are wicked. They are evil. They didn't just kill people. They would impale people with sticks, lining them up outside the city gate. See, they were creating an ideology of terror. See, they were the biggest and the baddest, the bullies on the block, and so they didn't want any of the surrounding countries to mess with them. And so they instilled fear among the nations. They didn't just come to town and kill people. They they would come and they would cut down the trees. What did the trees ever do to them, right? How long does it take to grow a tree? 
They would cut down the trees. They would burn entire fields. They would slaughter the livestock, every war crime possible, killing the women and the children. When the Assyrians came to town, when Ninevites came to town, this is, this is bad news, this ideology of terror. So you can see why when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh in the east, Jonah runs in the complete opposite direction to the west, right? Like Jonah doesn't want to be Jonah on a stick. (laughs) But that's not the reason. See, in chapter 4, Jonah himself tells us why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because Jonah's a prophet and he knows the character of God. He knows that God is a God of compassion, a God of loving kindness, of grace and mercy. And Jonah knows that if he he comes as a prophet to Nineveh and if he preaches a gospel, that these people might actually repent. I mean, it's a far chance, but they might do that. And if they repent, that means God will relent from the judgment that he's gonna send them and that doesn't work for Jonah. See, the book of Jonah is not about God calling you to be some missionary in some far away country, some extreme people group, some 1040 window. The book of Jonah is all about God interrupting our life, God pressing in and reordering our life, asking us the question, if we truly love him, do we have a love for other people? A people who don't deserve it. Do we love people in the same way? Do we have the compassion for people in the same way that God has a compassion for us? The book of Jonah ends with a question, asking that question, Jonah, do you love people? See, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to the dock. He went down to the bottom of the boat. Now we're gonna see, he he goes down to the bottom of the ocean He's running away from the Lord. And his sin is taking him further and further and further away. He is going down, spiraling down, down, down. See, Jonah's probably the worst missionary ever. <laughs> but God used him, right? And, and, and maybe this is why it's my favorite book in the Old Testament, because if God can use someone like Jonah... Maybe the Lord can use someone like me. Maybe the Lord can use someone like us. Two things you need to know about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is a confessional. See, the way Jonah portrays himself, this is so not self-flattering. I mean, it screams, don't be like me. Don't be like Jonah. I think Jonah wrote the book of Jonah later on in his life as he's looking back and he realizes he so did not get it. He so did not understand the compassion of God. I think Jonah's writing this book to us as a confessional saying, don't be like me. The Jewish people, they have a tradition. When the book of Jonah is read, they stand up and say in unison, we are Jonah harvest. I am Jonah. If I am brutally honest with myself, loving people is really hard. I mean, it's so inefficient, right? It takes so much time and energy, and people can be a mess. I mean, ministry would be great if it weren't for 
people, right? If I am brutally honest with myself, loving people in the same way that God loves us is really, really hard. It's one thing to say, I love the Lord, but for that to overflow in a compassion for others, it's hard. I am Jonah. See, Jonah is a confessional. And man, life is good right now. Like, I am comfortable right now. I've got a good thing going on with the Lord right now. It's hard. Loving people is hard. Jonah is a confessional. And Jonah is also missional. These themes, it's a simple story, but Jonah weaves these themes of of God's sovereignty and, and God's judgment and God's compassion and God's grace and repentance and faith. And somehow, our responsibility to go, like no matter how flawed we are, to go. Harvest, what would it look like if we really loved our neighbors? Like maybe it's just me, but this is becoming increasingly hard. Like it feels intrusive to be neighborly, right? Like we're supposed to just ignore and avoid. Harvest, what would it look like if if we opened up our homes, we opened up our lives to others? Not just your neighbors next door, but but maybe your cul-de-sac, your street, your neighborhood. Harvest, what would it look like that, that if we were going through life looking for opportunities to love others, to share our life, to share the gospel, what would that look like with your classmates, with your teammates, with your coworkers, with your family, with your friends? Harvest, maybe God's been doing a work in you so that he can be doing a work through you, beyond you, outside of you. Harvest, what would it look like if we were a church on the move? I am Jonah. I am, I am this imperfect messenger. I, I am fatally flawed. I am socially awkward around the lost. So much of my life is insulated with Christian community. But I am also Nineveh, right? Like if it wasn't for God's compassion reaching down into my life, drawing me to himself, I know my bent towards sin. I know the depravity of my own heart. I know the wickedness that that I am capable of. But it's because of God's grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion. See, we're not just Jonah, we're also Nineveh. In chapter two, from the belly of this fish, Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That means that that salvation comes from the Lord, that salvation originates, that that salvation is a a possession belonging to the Lord, that salvation is a gift the Lord can offer. And this totally takes the weight off us because the Lord is the one who draws people to him. And so I don't need to get tripped up over myself. This, This totally de-stresses me out because the Lord is the one who can draw people to him. The Lord is the one who swoops down and rescues and restores and redeems people. God's just calling me to go. 
God's just calling me to love people, to have a compassion for people in the same way that he has a compassion for us. God's just asking me to step outside of my everyday ordinary life and to be looking for ministry opportunities, that he wants to interrupt my life so that more people can know him. God's gonna do the work, but for some crazy reason, he wants to do the work through us. That's the story of Jonah. At the beginning of this year, we started this series through 1 Corinthians, Ready Together Go. And now this series through Thessalonians, a, a church on the move. Harvest, you connecting the dots? Do you see where this is going? That if God's been speaking words, that he, if he's been building us up in here, the purpose is to be sending us out there. That the Lord wants to be doing a work in us so he can be doing a work through us. So this fall in small groups, this is not how to. This is not how to do missions. This is not how to do evangelism. This is not the 10 questions to ask your neighbor. This is a mindset that if our love for the Lord, what would it look like for that to overflow into a love for people? To have a compassion for people and that we will go. Like no matter how flawed we are, we will go. We are a church on the move. And so my goal for this fall is to mobilize us for our mission. See, as we come together in small groups, as we are are meeting weekly and and pouring in and connecting and, and encouraging and pressing and sharpening, as we are praying with and praying for, building into one another, that we would then be released back to our everyday life. See, small groups aren't the mission. Small groups can mobilize us for our mission. So how do we do that? Like, what does that look like? What's our mission? I love what Jesus says. Last words of Jesus in Matthew 28 as he's speaking with his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, that's our mission. Last week, Pastor Doug gave us a grammar lesson. I'm gonna continue that. In a sentence, a a verb carries the action, right? So in a sentence, the the verb has the main idea. That's the main action. So here, Jesus, he's he's not requesting something. He's not asking something. No, he's, he's telling us something. He's, he's commanding something. And in this, in the Great Commission, there's only one verb. I think a lot of times we, we think it's the word go. That's what the verse starts with, go. Go's not a verb. Here in the Great Commission, go is a participle. There's actually three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. Those all hang off the main idea which is the verb. So what's the verb? Make disciples. See, Jesus is saying here, as you are going, make disciples. So as you are going through your neighborhood, make disciples. As you are going through your your everyday life at school, at work, at home with friends, make disciples. See, Jesus knows, he assumes, he implies, he knows that that we're already going through life. So he calls us 
to be making disciples. This is our mission. You don't need to get on a boat anywhere. You don't need to be swallowed by a whale and spit out at the beach of Nineveh. Like, Lord has already placed you with a people. He's already placed you in your mission. He's just asking you to be going through everyday life making disciples. It's a command. It's an imperative. He's commanding us to do this. It's second person plural, meaning all of us. He's speaking to all of us to to make disciples. This is the heartbeat of small groups. Jesus isn't asking us to be a better disciple, to be a smarter disciple, to be a more equipped, a, a holier disciple. He's asking us, he's commanding us to be a disciple maker. So Harvest, as, as you are going, make disciples. So how do we do this? What does this look like? Everything that we've been learning from Thessalonians, that our love for God would overflow into a love for people that we would be opening up and sharing our life with others and sharing the gospel with others. See, small groups aren't the mission. They just mobilize us for our mission. Our mission is making disciple makers, and the Lord wants more and more. See, that's why I think this year has the potential to be the year of the greatest eternal impact that our church and our small groups have ever seen. A year that we are mobilized on our mindset, a church on the move, that we are going, that we are loving our neighbors, serving our neighborhoods, that we are sharing our lives, sharing the gospel with friends and family, that we are reordering that God has interrupted our life, shaking us up out of comfortable and wanting more, that he wants to do a work through you, that if he can work through someone like Jonah, the Lord can use you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, your love and compassion for people astonishes me. Lord, there's times it does not even make sense. Lord, that's so hard to imitate and to replicate, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would be a year, God, that you'd be doing a work in our hearts, that you'd be calling us to the mat. God, that you would be speaking words into us, correcting our mindset, growing us in our courage and our compassion and our empathy. Lord, that you would be doing a work God, that we'd be a church on the move. Lord, you've placed us in a mission. Lord, you've surrounded us with people. Lord, you've given us everyday gospel opportunities. Lord, may we grab a hold of that. Lord, give us the grace. Give us the words. Lord, as we continue to worship you now in a time of giving, God, we give because, Lord, you are worthy. Lord, you are lovely. Lord, you are above all and over all. And as a humble act of worship, God, we give to you. Lord, use these gifts for your glory, for the good of your church. We pray this in your name. Amen.